Master Humphrey's Clock, Section 6. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Master Humphrey's Clock, Chapter 4. The Clock. As we were going upstairs, Mr. Pickwick put on his spectacles, which he had held in his hand hitherto, arranged his neckerchief, smoothed down his waistcoat, and made many other little preparations of that kind which men are accustomed to be mindful of when they are going among strangers for the first time, and are anxious to impress them pleasantly. Seeing that I smiled, he smiled too and said that if it had occurred to him before he left home he would certainly have presented himself in pumps and silk stockings i would indeed my dear sir he said very seriously i would have shown my respect for the society by laying aside my gaiters you may rest assured said i that they would have regretted your doing so very much for they are quite attached to them no really cried mr pickwick with manifest pleasure do you think they care about my gaiters do you seriously think that they identify me at all with my gaiters i am sure they do i replied well now said mr pickwick that is one of the most charming and agreeable circumstances that could possibly have occurred to me i should not have written down this short conversation but that it developed a slight point in mr pickwick's character with which i was not previously acquainted he had a secret pride in his legs the manner in which he spoke and the accompanying glance he bestowed upon his tights convinced me that mr pickwick regards his legs with much innocent vanity but here are our friends said i opening the door and taking his arm in mine let them speak for themselves gentlemen i present to you mr pickwick mr pickwick and i must have been a good contrast just then I, leaning quietly on my crutch-stick with something of a careworn patient air, he having hold of my arm, and bowing in every direction with the most elastic politeness, and an expression of face whose sprightly cheerfulness and good-humour knew no bounds. The difference between us must have been more striking yet as we advanced towards the table, and the amiable gentleman, accepting his jocund step to my poor tread, had his attention divided between treating my infirmities with the utmost consideration, and affecting to be wholly unconscious that I required any. I made him personally known to each of my friends in turn. First to the deaf gentleman, whom he regarded with much interest, and accosted with great frankness and cordiality. He had evidently some vague idea at the moment that my friend being deaf must be dumb also, for when the latter opened his lips to express the pleasure it afforded him to know a gentleman of whom he had heard so much, Mr. Pickwick was so extremely disconcerted that I was obliged to step in to his relief. His meeting with Jack Redburn was quite a treat to see. Mr. Pickwick smiled and shook hands and looked at him through his spectacles and under them and over them and nodded his head approvingly and then nodded to me as much as to say, This is just the man, you were quite right, and then turned to Jack and said a few hearty words and then did and said everything over again with unimpaired vivacity. As to Jack himself, he was quite as much delighted with Mr. Pickwick as Mr. Pickwick could possibly be with him. Two people never can have met together since the world began who exchanged a warmer or more enthusiastic greeting. It was amusing to observe the difference between this encounter and that which succeeded between Mr. Pickwick and Mr. Miles. 
it was clear that the latter gentleman viewed our new member as a kind of rival in the affections of jack redburn and besides this he had more than once hinted to me in secret that although he had no doubt mr pickwick was a very worthy man still he did consider that some of his exploits were unbecoming a gentleman of his years and gravity over and above these grounds of distrust it is one of his fixed opinions that the law never can by possibility do anything wrong he therefore looks upon mr pickwick as one who has justly suffered in purse and peace for a breach of his plighted faith to an unprotected female and holds that he is called upon to regard him with some suspicion on that account these causes led to a rather cold and formal reception which mr pickwick acknowledged with the same stateliness and intense politeness as was displayed on the other side indeed he assumed an air of such majestic defiance that i was fearful he might break out into some solemn protest or declaration and therefore inducted him into his chair without a moment's delay this piece of generalship was perfectly successful the instant he took his seat mr pickwick surveyed us all with a most benevolent aspect and was taken with a fit of smiling full five minutes long his interest in our ceremonies was immense they are not very numerous or complicated and a description of them may be comprised in very few words as our transactions have already been and must necessarily continue to be more or less anticipated by being presented in these pages at different times and under different forms they do not require a detailed account our first proceeding when we are assembled is to shake hands all round and greet each other with cheerful and pleasant looks remembering that we assemble not only for the promotion of our happiness but with the view of adding something to the common stock an air of languor or indifference in any member of our body would be regarded by the others as a kind of treason we have never had an offender in this respect but if we had there is no doubt that he would be taken to task pretty severely our salutation over the venerable piece of antiquity from which we take our name is wound up in silence the ceremony is always performed by master humphrey himself in treating of the club i may be permitted to assume the historical style and speak of myself in the third person who mounts upon a chair for the purpose armed with a large key while it is in progress jack redburn is required to keep at the farther end of the room under the guardianship of mr miles for he is known to entertain certain aspiring and unhallowed thoughts connected with the clock and has even gone so far as to state that if he might take the works out for a day or two he thinks he could improve them we pardon him his presumption in consideration of his good intentions and his keeping this respectful distance which last penalty is insisted on lest by secretly wounding the object of our regard in some tender part in the ardour of his zeal for its improvement he should fill us with dismay and consternation this regulation afforded mr pickwick the highest delight and seemed if possible to exalt jack in his good opinion the next ceremony is the opening of the clock-case of which master humphrey has likewise the key the taking from it as many papers as will furnish forth our evening's entertainment and arranging in the recess some new contributions as have been provided since our last meeting this is always done with peculiar solemnity the deaf gentleman then fills and lights his pipe and we once more take our seats round the table before mentioned master humphrey acting as president if we can be said to have any president where all are on the same social footing and our friend jack as secretary our preliminaries being now concluded we fall into any train of conversation that happens to suggest itself or proceed immediately to one of our readings 
In the latter case, the paper selected is consigned to Master Humphrey, who flattens it carefully on the table and makes dog's ears in the corner of every page, ready for turning over easily. Jack Redburn trims the lamp with a small machine of his own invention which usually puts it out. Mr. Miles looks on with great approval notwithstanding. The deaf gentleman draws in his chair so that he can follow the words on the paper, or on Master Humphrey's lips as he pleases, and Master Humphrey himself, looking round with mighty gratification, glancing up at his old clock, begins to read aloud. Mr. Pickwick's face, while his tale was being read, would have attracted the attention of the dullest man alive. The complacent motion of his head and forefinger as he gently beat time, and corrected the air with imaginary punctuation, the smile that mantled on his features at every jocose passage, and the sly look he stole around to observe its effect, the calm manner in which he shut his eyes and listened when there was some little piece of description, the changing expression with which he acted the dialogue to himself, the agony that the deaf gentleman should know what it was all about, and his extraordinary anxiety to correct the reader when he hesitated at a word in the manuscript, or substituted a wrong one, were alike worthy of remark. And when at last, endeavouring to communicate with the deaf gentleman by means of the finger alphabet, with which he constructed such words as are unknown in any civilised or savage language, he took up a slate and wrote in large text one word in a line, the question, How do you like it? When he did this, and handing it over the table, awaited the reply, with a countenance only brightened and improved by his great excitement, even Mr. Miles relaxed, and could not forbear looking at him for the moment with interest and favour. "'It has occurred to me,' said the deaf gentleman, who had watched Mr. Pickwick and everybody else with silent satisfaction, "'it has occurred to me,' said the deaf gentleman, taking his pipe from his lips, "'that now is our time for filling our only empty chair.' As our conversation had naturally turned upon the vacant seat, we lent a willing air to this remark, and looked at our friend inquiringly. "'I feel sure,' said he, "'that Mr. Pickwick must be acquainted with somebody who would be an acquisition to us, that he must know the man we want. Pray let us not lose any time, but set this question at rest. Is it so, Mr. Pickwick?' The gentleman addressed was about to return a verbal reply, but remembering our friend's infirmity, he substituted for this kind of answer some fifty nods. Then, taking up the slate and printing on it a gigantic yes, he handed it across the table, and rubbing his hands as he looked round upon our faces, protested that he and the deaf gentleman quite understood each other already. "'The person I have in mind,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'at whom I should not have presumed to mention to you until some time hence, "'but for the opportunity you have given me, "'is a very strange old man. His name is Bamber.' "'Bamber,' said Jack, "'I have certainly heard the name before.' "'I have no doubt, then,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'that you remember him in those adventures of mine, "'the posthumous papers of our old club, I mean,' although he is only incidentally mentioned, and, if I remember right, appears but once. "'That's it,' said Jack. "'Let me see. He is the person who has a grave interest in old mouldy chambers and the inns of court, 
and who relates some anecdotes having reference to his favourite theme, and an odd ghost story. Is that the man?' "'The very same. Now,' said Mr. Pickwick, lowering his voice to a mysterious and confidential tone, "'he is a very extraordinary and remarkable person, living and talking and looking like some strange spirit whose delight is to haunt old buildings, and absorbed in that one subject which you have just mentioned to an extent which is quite wonderful. When I retired into private life I sought him out, and I do assure you that the more I see of him, the more strongly I am impressed with the strange and dreamy character of his mind. Where does he live? I inquired. He lives, said Mr. Pickwick, in one of those dull, lonely old places with which his thoughts and stories are all connected, quite alone and often shut up close for several weeks together. In this dusty solitude he broods upon the fancies he has so long indulged, and when he goes into the world, or anybody from the world without goes to see him, they are still present to his mind and still his favourite topic. I may say, I believe, that he has brought himself to entertain a regard for me, and an interest in my visits, feeling which I am certain he would extend to Master Humphrey's clock if he were once tempted to join us. All I wish you to understand is that he is a strange secluded visionary, in the world but not of it, and as unlike anybody here as he is unlike everybody elsewhere that I have ever met or known. Mr. Miles received this account of our proposed companion with rather a wry face, and after murmuring that perhaps he was a little mad, inquired if he were rich. "'I never asked him,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'You might know, sir, for all that,' retorted Mr. Miles sharply. "'Perhaps so, sir,' said Mr. Pickwick, no less sharply than the other. "'But I do not. Indeed,' he added, relapsing into his usual mildness, "'I have no means of judging. He lives poorly, but that would seem to be in keeping with his character. I never heard him allude to his circumstances, and never fell into the society of any man who had the slightest acquaintance with them. I have really told you all I know about him, and it rests with you to say whether you wish to know more, or know quite enough already.' We were unanimously of opinion that we would seek to know more, and as a sort of compromise with Mr. Miles, who, although he said, yes, oh, certainly, he should like to know more about the gentleman, he had no right to put himself in opposition to the general wish, and so forth, shook his head doubtfully and hemmed several times with peculiar gravity. It was arranged that Mr. Pickwick should carry me with him on an evening visit to the subject of our discussion, for which purpose an early appointment between that gentleman and myself was immediately agreed upon, it being understood that I was to act upon my own responsibility, and to invite him to join us or not, as I might think proper. This solemn question determined, we returned to the clock-case, where we have been forestalled by the reader, and between its contents and the conversation they occasioned, the remainder of our time passed very quickly. When we broke up, Mr. Pickwick took me aside to tell me that he had spent a most charming and delightful evening. Having made this communication with an air of the strictest secrecy, he took Jack Redburn into another corner to tell him the same and then retired into another corner with the deaf gentleman and the slate to repeat the assurance it was amusing to observe the contest in his mind whether he should extend his confidence to mr miles or treat him with dignified reserve half a dozen times he stepped up behind him with a friendly air and as often stepped back again without saying a word 
At last, when he was close at that gentleman's ear and upon the very point of whispering something conciliating and agreeable, Mr. Miles happened suddenly to turn his head, upon which Mr. Pickwick skipped away, and said, with some fierceness, "'Good-night, sir. I was about to say good-night, sir. Nothing more.' And so made a bow and left him. "'Now, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick, when he had got downstairs, "'All right, sir,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Hold hard, sir. Right arm first. Now the left. Now one strong convulsion, and the great coat's on, sir.' Mr. Pickwick acted upon these directions, and being further assisted by Sam, who pulled at one side of the collar, and Mr. Weller, who pulled hard at the other side, was speedily enrobed. Mr. Weller, senior, then produced a full-size stable-lantern, which he had carefully deposited in a remote corner on his arrival, and inquired whether Mr. Pickwick would have the lamps alight. "'I think not to-night,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'Then if this here lady will permit,' rejoined Mr. Weller, "'we'll leave it here, ready for next journey. "'This here lantern, mum,' said Mr. Weller, handing it to the housekeeper, "'once belonged to the celebrated Bill Blinder, as is now at grass, "'as all on us will be in our turns. "'Bill, mum, was the hostler, and had charge of them two well-known piebald letters "'that run in the Bristol fast coach, and would never go to no other tune "'but a southerly wind and a cloudy sky, which was consequently played incessantly "'by the guard whenever they was on duty.' he was took wery bad one afternoon and having been off his feet and wery shaky on his legs for some veeks and he says to his mate mighty he says i think i'm a-goin the wrong side of the post and that my foot's wery near the bucket don't say i ain't he says for i know i am and don't let me be interrupted he says for i've saved a little money and i'm a-goin into the stable to make my last vill and testament "'I'll take care as nobody interrupts,' says his mate. "'But you only hold up your head and shake your ears a bit, "'and you're good for twenty years to come. "'Bill Blinder makes him no answer, but he goes away into the stable, "'and there he soon afterwards lays himself down atween the two piebolds and dies. "'Previously a writin' outside in the corn-chest, "'this is the last villain testament of William Blinder.' They was naturally very much amazed by this, and after looking among the litter and up on the loft, and where not, they opens the corn-chest and finds that he'd been and chalked his fill inside the lid, so the lid was obligated to be took off the hinges and sent up to Dr. Commons to be proved. And under that air wary instrument this here lantern was passed to Tony Vella, which circumstance, Mom gives it a wally in my eyes, and makes me request if you will be so kind as to take particular care on it. The housekeeper graciously promised to keep the object of Mr. Weller's regard in the safest possible custody, and Mr. Pickwick, with a laughing face, took his leave. The bodyguard followed side by side. Old Mr. Weller buttoned and wrapped up from his boots to his chin, and Sam, with his hands in his pockets and his hat half off his head, remonstrating with his father as he went on his extreme loquacity. I was not a little surprised, on turning to go upstairs, to encounter the barber in the passage at that late hour, for his attendance is usually confined to some half-hour in the morning but jack redburn who finds out by instinct i think everything that happens in the house informed me with great glee that a society in imitation of our own had been that night formed in the kitchen under the title of mr weller's watch of which the barber was a member 
and that he could pledge himself to find means of making me acquainted with the whole of its future proceedings, which I begged him, both on my own account and that of my readers, by no means to neglect doing. End of section 6